says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. It's the midweek slot for the Tip Sheet, which means it's news, it's gone around the NRL, and you know what that means. News team, assemble! So let's get the crew in here. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s, co-host of the tip sheet. How are you holding up, mate, as we head into the representative week? Mate, any time that we're coming off a win is so much better than the alternative. And let's face it, last week was a complete disaster. So I'm doing pretty fine this week, mate, I've got to tell you. <laughs> and that's a, a brilliant way to sum it up, mate. And then also join us from the get-go to take us all around the NRL and behind the microphone is our good mate, Spiro. How you doing, mate? Going well, guys. Lovely to chat. And as 60s just mentioned, always better after a win and heading into an exceptional round of football coming up with plenty of representative matches ahead. So really looking forward to what's ahead over the next few days. Yeah, and just because it's a week off in the NRL, the cup and the flag doesn't mean there isn't plenty to talk about. So in order to go around the uh, fields and around the teams, we're going to ask you to give us all your expert insight, mate. Let's start with a look back to the Parramatta Eels victory over the Sydney Roosters. We got the, uh, I know the media's jumped on it, but the Jekyll and Hyde Parramatta Eels or the Jack Eel and Hyde Eels. Uh, 26-16. This was a really, really solid win. The Roosters came out and played some great football. Eels just played better. Um, Dylan Brown scored. So did Ice, Zai Papali'i, Quinton Gufferson, Mike Acevo, Reed Marnie, Mitch Moses, free from five. Oh, 60s and I's obviously have already talked about it, but this was a game of two halves for you, wasn't it? It really was. And as a fan in the stands, wasn't it good to see the boys scoring some points again and scoring tries in front of the Parramatta faithful there at Combank Stadium? It was just a really, really good night. And as you said, it was a, a game of two halves because the attacking effort and the way that we um, played in that first half was exceptional. And then we backed it up with a really good defensive effort in the second half. So overall, it was probably one of the better 80-minute performances we've seen so far this year. And it was probably... A, you know, one of the best turnarounds we've seen from a Parramatta side coming off the back of a terrible loss like we did against the Bulldogs to then turn it around against a quality Roosters outfit who were without their um, their six in Luke Keary. But it was a, a really important win for our season, for our spirit, for the media as well to get off our back a little bit and uh, be able to talk a little bit of positive press into uh, a good win. So I was really impressed by what I saw. A few things that I still think we need to work on, which we'll touch on, uh, in today's pod, but overall, really great effort, and, and I'm really happy as a fan, as I'm sure you guys are after that result. There were- yeah, it was. I was just going to say it was one of those matches where you you said it was a, a, a game of two halves, which it was in terms of the way that uh, Parramatta had to play, and it, it was good Parramatta in both halves with how they played. I really looking back at it, looking at the replay, I don't know that there was too much that Parramatta could have done differently in the second half because the Roosters were really allowed to slow up 
the ruck, mm. I, I, I thought it was abominably so because uh, I think the the way that it was in the first half where we were getting on the, the quick play, the balls, lots of power plays, the Roosters were constantly on the back foot and you could see them looking to change that flow late in the first half, starting to lay all over in the tackle, slowing things up, just checking how long the ref would give them for uh, before giving them a warning or, or blowing a six again. We didn't see a six again through that second half from memory, uh, despite the best efforts of the Combank Stadium crowd there to let the referee know that there was plenty of laying on going in the tackles. But the fact that Parramatta didn't get frustrated by it and stayed in that grind, and let's face it, apart from that freakish bounce that Joseph Sawali got for that try when Dylan Brown had the had the the kick well and truly covered, it was it was a real grinding game of football in that second half, and I thought we did well to to um, hang in there. Hundred percent, hundred percent. This uh, couldn't agree more. This game felt like a in a weird way. It was like a bizarro world parallel. You look back at it, and it reminds me a lot of our round one game against the Titans, where frenetic first half, gritty second half. Whereas that was like the the worst possible way we could have played that game in round one. This was like the high class version of it, where we were playing a team that was clearly in good touch. The Roosters came out and played some terrific football, scored some sensational tries. Joseph Sawali is going to be a problem. Thankfully, he's a, a New South Wales blue, uh, not a Queenslander. So you, we're so used to those outstanding young backs being Queenslanders, but this mm. one is uh, for the Blues. But yeah, it was just good to see the boys uh, play the best of both worlds there where there was some, I mean, there was attacking football that I don't think almost any other team in the competition could have done. Some of those tries we scored, they just dragged you out of your seat to uh, cheer as they unfolded. But on the flip side, when the Roosters were able to control the, the tempo of the game in the second half, by and large, and it wasn't without some concern, which you're going to talk about, Spiro, but by and large, the Eels were able to absorb the pressure. They didn't panic like we've seen them do against teams like the Bulldogs and the Tigers. They just stayed within their structures and just got into the grind. That's the thing. And and you compare it to a game like the Tigers when we played them on Easter Monday or when we played the Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago on the Queen's birthday long weekend Monday, where we were really rushing our play and, and we weren't composed as a team, but... I felt that for the, for the full 80 minutes, we were really – we kept our heads, we were level-headed, and we just waited for our opportunities, and then we took them when they were there. And I really like that because we tend to get a little bit overwhelmed and we try to overplay our hand. Certain individual players do, but as a team as well. But I feel that this week we really just grinded out the win, and it could have been very easy for Para in that second half after Joseph Suwali scored that, that try – to let the Roosters back into the game and make it a really difficult challenge in that final half an hour or so. But we put them away, and, and that was maybe the wake-up call we needed, a, an early try to Suwali, then really alerted Parramatta to the fact that they needed to be on their game because that Roosters team can do anything. So that was something which I was really impressed about as well, the the way that they conducted themselves on that field, and they they really stuck by each other. They stuck solid. They... Even in that second half, you know, they didn't rush any opportunities. They just played smart football on the whole. And it was it was really good to see. While we're talking about Suwali, though, and before we move through to the other topics, he's a weapon. He's an absolute freak. And each week, he's getting better and better and better. 
I watched the the game the week before when the Roosters played the Storm, and we saw some of the tackles he put on there and what he's capable of. And having that experience being in the Origin Arena, hanging around the likes of Clint Gutherson and uh, and those other fantastic players as well, you know, your Brian Thoughtors and those mentor and inspiring sort of plays, he's only going to make him better as a player. So I know that it's not paratalk, but he's an impressive footballer. Uh, he, he is one of the most exciting young prospects in the game, without a doubt. And I'm going to be very, I mean, not, not like you care too much about the Roosters, but it'll be interesting to see how they go about navigating and balancing uh, getting he and Manu more and more ball because they're, they're becoming increasingly two of the most important members of their team. And I and think it was, it was, from my perspective, it was even more, he looked even more impressive seeing him in person mm-hmm. at the ground, seeing how he played the game because we've seen plenty of him on television, the, the coverage of Roosters games, but and, and Mike Acevo played him life. tough too. Like if that was a real physical matchup, he just got as good got as good as Sevo gave him, and that's yep. you know a testament to how well Joseph Swally played as a young kid. Well, we're, you know the the comments really that uh, after the game when we're talking, just saying he is the real deal. He is mm-hmm. absolutely legit as a as a, a top class footballer who is so early in his career. It's frightening to think how good he's going to be, A, when he's completely physically mature and B, more experienced in the game. It's it, it's just absolutely frightening how and good he's like. What's be. even crazier is that the King School had both he and Will Penasini in the same team at the same time. That is just insane. So, Well, well can, we, can, can I jump in? Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, can we... When we when we extend Will Penasini, let's see if we can get hold of Joseph Suwali. Exactly what I was thinking as well. Imagine that combination, that pairing, and we do have to think about it because it's a real possibility that one day that if Joseph Suwali comes off contract and Parramatta come in with a, a pretty sensible offer, that uh, Suwali would consider making the move across because he'll be with his good mate Will Penasini and. You know, it's a it's Parramatta still a very good club as well, and if they put the right offer to him, he may leave the tricolours. So you know, let's hold on to that little bit of hope, well, false sense of hope that he'll be a blue and gold one day. His current contract status is twenty twenty two contracted, then player options for the next two years. So there could, right. I suppose, there could be a wild card in there somewhere if the Eels are keen to reunite the two king stars. Uh, but moving on from Joseph Suwala, who I'm sure we're going to see more of in the uh, coming uh, weeks and years, uh, one thing the Roosters did good in that second half when we talked about controlling the tempo, Spiro, was spawning our fifth tackle options. They set the tone early with a charge down of Mitchell Moses, which looked yeah. like it rattled the eels a little bit. They started going a little bit more to Dylan Brown for their fifth tackle options. You saw that and, and thought that we needed to play a little bit more polish on how we finished our sets. For sure. We were sitting on, and you boys will have to correct me now, uh, the league's club side of the ground. So we were sitting on the, the side where Parramatta was scoring in the second half and where they were attacking the line. So I, I just thought from my point of view and, and observing that from, from nice and close, some of the kicking options on the fifth tackle need to be improved because th- the truth is against quality teams, they will capitalize on those sloppy fifth tackle options. You can't and a couple of times there we got caught on the fifth, which, you know, and I understand that when you're ahead by 10 points or so, you want to maybe try your hand at scoring on the, the last tackle. But you've got to be sensible as well and, and play a little bit 
a little bit smarter football and game management is a huge thing which uh, sets the good teams apart from the rest. And I think a couple of times there, Mitchell Moses probably could have forced a repeat set or a little been a little bit wiser in where he was placing the ball off off the kicks. And um, had he done that, I think it would have been you know maybe one of our best performances of the year for me. But just it lacked that polish, and I think we really need to work on that because I think it'll prove to be a, a real issue uh, as the season progresses if we're not careful. Sixty is any input in that one, mate, or, or do you see it the same? No, look, I'm, I'm, I'm probably. Look, I think it's if we keep the mentality that there's always something that we can improve, then we're going to be in a good place. Mm. And that, as far as I'm concerned, anything that we can keep uh, working on and not being satisfied with is a good thing. That's how you don't get stagnant, right? And it's uh, one uh, absolutely, the, absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of the things, especially for the Eels, when you talk about trying to get them up for the, the games that they need to win against the lesser teams, maybe that's how we're going to, you know, those sort of criticisms need to drive them. It's like if we can't do it against the Roosters, then we need to do it against the Tigers and the Bulldogs. So, yeah, definitely. Well, look, it, it, was, it was probably the most frustrating thing was that um, – it wasn't a bad outcome, some of the kicks from Mitch Moses in that second half, in that the ball was being turned over right on the line. But mm. you and I were frustrated by the, the fact that there wasn't the um, any competition for the ball. That was one of them. And the other thing that has um, jumped out at me across the last couple of weeks has been a lack of kicks along the carpet. We're going yeah. the aerial yeah. route uh, almost always. Which is fine because we've got, in the sense that we have a couple of really good targets. You've got Sean Lane, Wanga Blake, Mike Acevo showing he's pretty good in the air these days too. He had a great uh, contest of uh, Joseph Swally throughout uh, the game in that aspect. But at the same time, Mitchell Moses in particular has an excellent uh, ground game. So that's something yeah. I'd like to see weaved back into his repertoire. Yeah, well, we again, that's another another thing that we were talking about mm-hmm. during the game, which is, you know, what's wrong with getting it along the turf? And you're also looking at the the roosters with having such tall uh, wingers that um, and, and Teddy always uh, being more than accomplished at at fullback. Let's get that ball along the ground because what we've seen in terms of our own fullback in Clint Gutherson is his struggles with the bouncing ball because that that ball only needs to deviate just a little bit and it gives a problem. Mm-hmm. Like just the slightest amount that it deviates. And the pickup from you know, especially if you're a fullback moving at pace, or you've got um, you've got kick chases coming through at you. As soon as that ball deviates and you're maybe caught flat-footed with the bounce, man, you, you've I think you have to explore that as one of the viable options. And we need to do that because, as I said, when you play the quality teams and when there's ten points in it, it was a you know because it was a fairly close game and and tight right up until the end, you need to close the game out and seal the win. And the way you do that is by forcing repeat sets. What Melbourne would do, what Penrith would do if they were in the same situation as us. So for me, that's what sets us apart just at the moment. That's one aspect of our game that sets, sets us apart from the top two teams in the competition at the moment, our game management. And we've, we saw it, we've seen it a couple times already this year against the Storm where we could have closed that game out before going to Golden Point if we were smarter with our fifth tackle options, mm-hmm. and we weren't. So it's just something to keep in the back of our mind, and, and I, I, I agree with you guys 100%. You know, use the, Put the ball along the carpet and use that to our advantage. 
And I think also as well, this is where we've had, um, I suppose, question marks about whether everyone was on the same page. Because when we raised that as a criticism before in those games, we spoke about the communication between Reed Marnie and Mitch Moses and whether the call was was being paid attention to because there was also that, that game against the Tigers when uh, the option, I think, was there as well for uh, an earlier field goal attempt, and it just didn't happen. So, uh, again, as I said earlier before, if we're constantly looking to improve, which I, you know every team should be, then that's definitely an area to, to look at. For sure. And that wasn't the only area of the game that you want to see improvement from the Eels. If the first was on the uh, playmakers, this one's more on the coaching staff. You're a bit frustrated by our bench rotations. A combined 10 minutes between Makassi Makatoa and Kai Rodwell, seven for Maka, three for Rodwell. Um, you you sort of are coming from a point where you think that we need to be using our bench forwards or just bench players, doesn't have to be forwards, uh, more consistently. Yeah, it's frustrating, guys, and I'm going to be pretty blunt, uh, blunt and raw about this. But for, you know, let's start with Kai Rodwell, someone playing in their second NRL game. I know that there was a bit of a misconception at the ground the other night that it was, <laughs> it was his, his NRL debut. debut. It was it his was debut his for 2022. There you go. It was his debut for 2022, and his debut at home. But come on, three minutes for a, a, a young forward who has a heap of potential against a Roosters team when we comfortably had the win in the bag with about. 10 minutes to go, you'd like to think. And for the coaching staff not to bring him on was a farce. I'm really quite disappointed about it. And the group that we were watching the game with expressed the same concerns. I know you guys are big fans of Kai Rodwell and uh, he's got that that nickname, Magnum. And uh, I love the posts, uh, just a bit of an aside, but he's a great player. He has a lot of potential. And the fact that we only brought him on for three minutes after that, all that hoo-ha about dropping Nathan Brown, bringing Rodwell into the team, it just doesn't really make sense. And I know we've spoken about the way BA and the coaching staff run their bench in the past, but something needs to be done and said about this because it's it's quite a unique method which the coaching staff use, and I'm not a fan of it. Same with Makahesi Makatoa. He came on, and I said to the group we were with, I said, he was only on for eight minutes. And that's surprising because Maka's usually on for a little bit longer than that. And we wonder why, and this is the, big, the broader issue, we wonder why um, players leave the club, you know, Oregon Kafusi as an example, or, you know, young aspiring forwards like that, Alex Twal, because we're not, or Stefano Oitakamanu, we're not generous in letting, breeding young guys through and letting them have enough game time and giving them the opportunity. Kai Rodwell, in my opinion, he should have been playing first grade before round 14. Are we, were we round 14 last week? I think we were. He should have been playing a game much earlier in the season than that because what we saw from Kai in that last game of last year and also what we've seen in reserve grade, he deserves to be in the fold. And the fact that he came off at three minutes was absolutely ridiculous. And then we wonder why they go to other clubs. So, you know, Kai Rodwell, if he gets an offer at another club where he's going to get game time, he's going to walk. And we wonder why that happens. And the reason is because we don't bring these young guys through and give them the opportunity. So it's pretty pathetic. Um, three minutes for a, a forward on the bench who's got a, a whole heap of potential, and you've got other guys playing, you know, Sean Lane playing 80 minutes. Don't get me wrong. Sean Lane probably played one of his best games this year, one of the best of his career. But he loses impact after a while. After about the 60-minute mark, 
you see that Sean Lane isn't as impactful as he was in that opening little stint there where he had a couple of try assists. So I know I'm a bit fired up about this one, guys, but it's a common thread and we see it quite a bit with young forwards that are playing their first couple of NRL games. And I think something needs to be done about it, but I'm keen to hear your takes as well. I'll let 60s go first because I actually have a – I was ruminating on this because this is something that I have been critical of uh, BA and the coaching staff of in the past insofar as how they manage bench rotations. But I won't won't say I had an epiphany, but I do have an interesting uh, way of relating what his uh, style of uh, interchange might be. Yeah, I I guess if I I, uh, come in here just in terms of uh, my takes on it, there was a couple of mistakes that Macca made, which is really out of character for him, and he gave away a penalty. Oh, look, I wouldn't be surprised if, given the how tight things were in the second half, that he was taken off the field at that point. Um, but just with regard to uh, Kai Rodwell, I would have liked to have seen him get more minutes as well. I, I think that he showed last year, when he had an extended period of time in his debut, that he was capable of, of doing quite well over an extended period. But this is not the first time that we've we've seen this where uh, the players, when they are first getting time in first grade, and especially if it's a tight match, that they get minimal minutes. We saw that way back when uh, Murata first debuted, and I think he got a grand total of about five minutes. I think Stefano got, what was it, about 60 seconds or or something mm, about that yeah yeah something like that i think i think from uh, i'm i'm going to be i'm not going to use oregon as an example because I, i'm trying to think back to that game his i think his first game was against melbourne down it in was, melbourne and yeah. he might have got decent minutes in that but we have seen it before with uh with debuts where they get short periods of time the interesting one was when we spoke to uh Murata, uh, about his debut, and we got to speak to him at Ringrose Park one week when he was there watching some of the other boys run around in the New South Wales Cup. And we spoke to him about his debut, and he said um, he was he wasn't disappointed that he only got such a short period of time because he was gassed in his in in his debut. So it was he just said the difference between New South Wales Cup and. NRL was just huge, and that was that was about right. How much how much time he got, so he wasn't actually upset by that. He was he was actually quite happy that he, it took a long while to debut, and that he was brought on with um, short minutes just building up. So um, yeah, can't. But uh, as I said to you, I would have liked to have seen a lot more time with Kai Rodwell because he's been he's been in great form in New South Wales Cup, and I think he would have. Um, he wouldn't have let anyone down with a, with some longer minutes. Yeah, my, John, your takes. My perspective on this is, and like like you know, sixties, I have been critical of BA and the coaches for their interchange policies in the past. There's been some games where it felt like we could have used a fresh injection at certain periods, and that happens. But my my logic on this one here is that this was obviously circled as an important game, a big game. It obviously didn't have have like sudden death implications. But coming off that Bulldogs loss, this was almost treated like a finals game. Uh, this was like, we, we get right, we've got to come here, play our best football, we've got to be, you know, full 80 minutes serious. And I think when you when you apply that sort of thought process to the general, the general methodology that we have with our bench rotations, what we've got is kind of like if you watch basketball in the NBA, when they get to the finals or they've got big games, they really shorten up their use of their interchange and they rely on their mm. core players significantly 
And we see that a lot of the Parramatta Eels, especially in the forwards, where your Junior Barlow's, your Regan campbell Gillards, your Ryan Madison's, Ice, Murata, those guys, Sean Lane too, uh, Arthur really leans on them. Uh, you know, they're known quantities, that they work within the systems that he has. And I think that when we take on the big teams like that, they're the players he wants to leverage the most. And not, not saying he's right, but I think that's the, the methodology behind it. And we saw that against the Roosters where this was a very serious game for us. And obviously every NRL game is serious, but the, there was more at stake for a normal game than usual. And I think that's uh, the kind of thought process behind it where we shorten up our use of the bench and really you know, call upon the, the proven or known commodities. Just a bit, look, for, for, yeah, it's from mine, it's, it's just a little bit laughable in terms of giving someone on the bench three minutes. I agree with both of you and, you know, I understand that they lean on those forwards and I respect that. But, you know, three minutes, you know, it's it's really slack, especially for a young player to build that up in his mind that, okay, first game at home, pumped, first NRL game playing in Sydney in front of family and friends and then to only get three minutes is pretty tough on the young bloke. But appreciate your takes and, and glad we could have a chat about that. Oh, one. yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something that is always going to provoke discussion. I mean, you go back... Uh uh, Desi's had the history of what Jamie Vera played two games on the bench without playing any minutes whatsoever. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's a common occurrence, uh, but it's not as uncommon as some fans might think. But it's definitely a space where I think the coaching staff could explore some different strategies and open up, uh, you know, small minutes for other players. Well, and, and also I think um, what you're actually voicing is, uh, uh, you know, what you hear in the stands as well, which is uh, that people are... Uh, a questioning what's what's happening with the use of the bench. My my take has always been, and I, and actually it was almost an epiphany hearing the way John worded his his epiphany. So he almost gave me an epiphany with that. But I, I'd always I'd always just regarded it as that um, BA sends brings people on and off as he feels it needs to in a game, and that if he feels that it's tight in in the match and he wants the the uh, I suppose the big the big contracted the big name stars out there on the field at certain critical points you'll get them out there even if it means that uh, there's a there's a player on the bench that's fresher than what they are um, so I've always just seen as he's not necessarily following a formula but rather he's playing it by by his gut instinct about what's playing out on the field and now Forty's given me something else to think about in terms of no, this is a strategy. This is um, using those core players for longer periods in crunch games. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's yeah. I, I can I can see that that is a, a, a strategy that is possibly being used. So, which means that when we come out of the buy and we're taking on, uh, is it West Tigers we play? No, we've got South uh, we? Rabbitohs. Rabbitohs. Yeah. So when we take on the Rabbitohs, then the Tigers, and then the Warriors. You'd be hoping to see Kai get, you know, consistently ten to twenty minutes uh, off the bench across those games. So that that'll, right. that'll be the hope across those three games there. Um, and you know, we've spoken very highly about Kai Robbo in the past, and he's a player I think has a real future at the Eels. Um, so yeah, looking forward to him getting a little bit more time in the NRL. But uh, moving on, mate, because it is Representative Week, and of course, you know, it means there is plenty of international games. But as always, the crown jewel will be State of Origin, that's taking place over in Perth on Sunday. A lot of uh, mm. a lot of churn for the Blues. The the Maroons had to make a couple of changes too, but they were both enforced by injury. For them, Ruben Cotter hamstring, 
and Xavier Coates, who did the actual injury in State of Origin 1, syndesmosis. They're both out. And they've brought in uh, Cowboys winger Murray Talungi. And then in the back row, Tino Fasuma Ali is still locked forward. But I think the player came in was Jai Arrow. There we go. Yeah, Jai Arrow. So yeah. that's the uh, only two changes there in terms of enforced. But they've uh, got Bo Fermore, Corey Oates, Reese Walsh, Tom Flegler, Tom Deere, and they're all in on the extended roster there. But otherwise, Queensland looking in real good shape. Uh, they're pretty much as named last last game. Yeah, so Ponga, Cobbo, Talangi, Holmes and Gagai in the centres. You've got Munster, DCE, who's the captain. Front row, Lindsay Collins, Ben Hunt, Josh Papali'i, Kurt Capel, Felice Kafusi, Tino Fa'asu, Omar Ali. Then on the bench, Harry Grant, Jai Arrow, Patrick Carrigan, who was outstanding in game one, and Jeremiah Nanai. So that team's looking very good, but for the Blues, a whole ton of changes. Some bad news for a couple of Eels too. Jack Whiten, he's got COVID, so he's out. But then there's a whole list of uh, unenforced changes. Katoni Staggs, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Ryan Madison, Tarek Sims. Uh, replacing them, you've got Matt Burton coming into the centres, or one of the centres. He'll replace, uh, I suppose, technically he's replacing Katoni Staggs. Stephen Crichton comes into the team for Jack Whiten due to that COVID incident. Daniel Tupo still on the wings. Unchanged halves of Luai and Cleary. You've got Payne Haas and Jake Dubovich in the front row. Happy Corusai starts over Damian Cook, who goes to the bench. In the back row, Cam Murray starts. Liam Martin and Isaiah Yo round out the final two spots. On the bench, you already talked about Cook. It's Crichton, Junior Barlow, and C.S. Siffer Talakai. Sorry, Hines, Suwali, McLean, Gufferson, and Radley are the extended roster. Yeah, this is a... I don't know. It felt like one a one-try loss to the Maroons, and suddenly New South Wales are, are panicking. Hard. That's been the talk and, and so much talk about the panic button and Freddie making all these changes. And I think the best thing to do is probably just to go through it um, and all the changes from the Blues point of view, focusing in on those Parramatta ones and giving my takes on it all. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, bringing uh, Stephen Crichton into the centres, starting in the centres, totally agree with that. Had to be done. And although Jack Whiten had a, an, a brilliant game one, I think Stephen Crichton's the best replacement slotting in there at number four. Bringing Matt Burton in for Katoni Staggs, bit of a controversial one. No questions asked that Matt Burton has been in fine form so far this year at the Bulldogs and thoroughly deserves his Blues jersey. However, Katoni Staggs, in my view, I think it's a little bit harsh on him getting dropped. I don't think he played terribly in game one. I think having that injury hampered things. He didn't get a lot of ball out there, which made things difficult for him as well. And I would have liked to see him have another go in the centres for the Blues, considering all the hype and all the talk around him and uh, slotting him into the Origin Arena. So slightly disappointed that Katoni doesn't get another chance, but I think Matt Burton will do his job and and he'll be fine there. Looking at the front row, Jake Travojevic at prop. A little bit of an interesting decision because in my eyes, I don't see Jake too much as a as a front row. I see him more as a as a second rower or as a as a lock. Um, or bringing some impact off the bench. So surprised that they've named him at 10. Would can, I just, to, can I just yep. jump in there? Yeah. So the interesting term that was used, that New South Wales was too nice. If you want to talk about nice, <laughs> that's what Jake Dravojevic <laughs> is known for. Yeah, I, I don't He's think Jake screams firebrand nice enforcer, yeah. He, he is not an enforcer in it. Look, I, I like him as a bloke i think he's a, a has great loyalty he's a he's the sort of club player that a, a you know teams like to have there where he gets his his job done within the team he mm-hmm. he's he does 
he plays so well for what Manly want from him. So there's no questions from that. Is that what the state needs from him? Well, we're talking about the criticism that we weren't aggressive enough and that we need to 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 bring a, a bit more power. So what do we do? We take out someone like um, Regan Campbell-Gillard, who I know he didn't start and that Junior started, but he's an option as the as the power starting forward, which that's his game. No, so we take him out and we replace him with a back rower who likes to ball play and is just a bit more of a tackling machine and doesn't bring any level of aggression whatsoever. Whose yeah. last start in State of Origin was very underwhelming too. You know, I thought that Jake was very ordinary before he got dropped for this season. Um, you know, he's still an excellent club level player, but I, just, I don't really know what the Blues feel in going for him outside of him maybe soaking up some early minutes defensively. I, yeah. I think I'm a bit confused as well. I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. Considering Junior had 229 run meters last week, he's been in, he played a really, really good game. I think that he's a mongrel you need up front and maybe Jake's a kind of guy to have on your bench that can come on and play in the back row, but he's not a front rower. So I, I don't know about that decision at all. Yeah, and I'll, considering... I'll, I'll let you run with the rest of it too, Hisper. I'm sorry for interrupting there, but I just... Oh, oh, don't be sorry, please. No, I agree. It's, yeah, um, let, it's a let... frustrating move. I'll let you go with the rest of your takes on the team, but I just thought, you know, this is, mm. you know, I, I was dumbfounded by his selection and it's not a knock on him. It's just, mm. it doesn't fit in with the narrative that they have spun about the changes. It doesn't fit in one iota with that, with that narrative. So yeah, sorry mm. for interrupting the flow of what you were saying with your takes on the team, mate. Don't be sorry at all. And, and just adding to that before we move through to the rest of the side, Part of the problem from our front rowers from a New South Wales point of view in game one was that they were trying to ball play a little bit too much and weren't playing the role of a front rower. So going with someone like Jake Travojevic, who's a ball playing forward, it's just confusing. So questionable selection there. Um, Cameron Murray, Liam Martin in the second row, no big changes there. I, I think both of them started or maybe Liam Martin was off the bench in game one. Tarek Sims probably deserved to be dropped. I don't think he should have been there in the first place. So probably a good move by Freddie. We skipped through the hooker decision. I know it doesn't directly involve Parramatta, but I like it. I think Apisai Coruscant deserves to be starting at nine and Damian Cook probably more impact off the bench. And then in terms of uh, Junior Paolo is going to be on the bench, which is good to, good to see at least he's in there and didn't get dropped because he no way in the world he deserved to be. Angus Crichton, I'm not too sure if we've seen enough from him this year to be in the Origin Arena, so that's a questionable one. I would have had RCG there um, every day of the week over him. And then you come to the 17, Ryan Madison getting dropped for COC for Talakai. Now, in terms of, let's start with Maddo, how good was he last week? I know we yep. didn't really touch on it no, in our takes from the Roosters game. It speaks to how well other players played. He had five offloads on his own and contributed to the, the total of 20 offloads for the Eels. So for me, Maddo deserved to be there, especially given that game he played on Saturday. I don't think Freddie was watching it. Uh, he must have missed the game. That's why he didn't pick him. Because if you're picking a team on form, Ryan Madison has to be there. CSC for Talakai, I can understand the versatility argument that he can slot into the, the centers, his second row, play on the edges. Fair enough. But... I don't think he has been good enough. He played a couple of okay games in the 
early part of the season, but he hasn't been able to back that up in the last month or six weeks of football. So I don't think I don't think he should have been there. And it'll be interesting to see how Freddie runs his bench because I, my biggest issue with it is that he doesn't have enough mongrel that he can um, put into the forwards. Like you've only really got two props in the whole team. That's and, it. And you've got all these, the these edge players and stuff. Two middle – two. He's. they're talking about not not winning that battle – so he's gone to two middle forwards. He's dropped down to two middle forwards. I, like, I, I look at that bench and I go, okay, he's covering for dummy half and then he's covering for the backs and then he's got one back rower and one middle. I, like, I, I can't I can't go with Talakai. Talakai's had uh, one outstanding half of football, not a full mm. game, one outstanding half of football against, against a manly defence that was shell-shocked in that, and it was mostly Harper, that struggled to handle him. And suddenly he's an origin player because he got talked up after after one big f- first half of football. I, I, look, I'm dumbfounded. Like, I honestly think this is one of the worst selected New South Wales origin teams that I've seen. And I'm not talking about it as a, a knock on the players themselves but as the structure of a team, um, each of those players has the capacity to perform, but I don't think for what they... like. I'm happy to be proven wrong that New South Wales come out and they do a number on Queensland because I think this is a really good Queensland team. I think they're heading back towards their glory years again a lot sooner than what I thought they were going to. Um, I'll be cheering for New South Wales. I wouldn't be surprised if we get hammered, however. <laughs> And so, yeah, so look, it's interesting. I mean, and even if you look at the 18 to 22, I know that it doesn't have a whole lot of relevance, but just going through that, good to see Clint Gutherson in the fold. I'm sure he brings a lot of experience and leadership to a fairly young side and players will learn from him in camp. Victor Radley at 22, I mean, he hasn't played since round 10. And yeah, and that, that question it's, it's was, thrown weird selection. was thrown at Brandy on 360 and he sort of, I, I won't say he, he faffled for all, but the argument given was that Freddie's been trying to get Radley into the origin team for the last few years, but he's always been hurt. And since he's finally not hurt now, they got, they got him straight back into the squad. And it's like, well, what about merit? You know, what about the guys that are in form, are healthy, coming in match fit? And yeah, I don't know. Like I understand trying to get a guy into the team and give him the, the origin rub, like Joseph Sawali who's there. But it just, yeah, mm-hmm. for a guy that hasn't played since round 10, like you said, mate, it, yeah, just, it rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, and this it doesn't, yeah. it's it's representative football. It's not club football where a coach decides, look, I, I, I want this player in the team. Um, I know he hasn't played recently, but I want him in the team. Uh, representative football is supposed to be not just about winning, because yes, we want we want the teams to win, but it's meant to be, as as Forty just said, there's a merit element to it. Where uh, and I know there's a merit element in earning spots in in uh, an NRL team, but you know this. I don't know. I, I I just feel that when you hand out a Blues jersey, that it has to have been earned in that particular year. I, I really do, and it's and I just don't see that it's that it's been earned by some of the players this year. 
and and just quickly, you know, if you if you're doing a, a final debrief and you say, well, guys like Regan Campbell, Gillard, Ryan Madison, and Katoni Staggs, for example, if they were good enough to be in your team for game one, they're good enough to be in the twenty-two. You'd like to think mm-hmm. for game two, like even as reserves to have them there in case one of the other guys goes down, because essentially your eighteen to twenty-two are the five best players. Um, that aren't in the team to come in in case there's injuries. So you'd, you'd like to think that RCG and Maddo and even um, Katoni, they're there in case something happens. So it's a big fall from grace, if you ask me. Oh, and, you know, you spoke earlier about how must that make a, a player feel if they're not getting the minutes or, they're, or, or you know, something's happening, in, in you know, at club level of football. And I'm looking at this and I think when you've got players that have been dropped out of the 22 and you've got players like Jordan McLean that have been brought in and Radley who hasn't played at all. And as you said, that you're you're talking about players being dropped who were um, in that 17 in game one. What message does that send them? What message does that send them about the faith that the coach has in them? Um, How does that... How, how does that make them, um, I suppose, respond? Well, maybe it makes them even keener when the, if they do get called back up again. But you'd have question marks, wouldn't you, about how you were seen by the coach? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. It's not on. You know, it's not fair. No, no. And I know that. Look, they're they're you know they're they're tough seasoned players, and they should be able to deal with all this. And it's you know we shouldn't worry about uh, you know what's their feelings and all this sort of stuff. But you've got to think of that, that, you know, there's going to be a bit of a psychological impact of, of um, I don't know, I just feel like there's, uh, it, it was a real loss of faith in those players. And I don't know that they deserve such a loss of faith. And we're, as I said, we're not, we're not just talking about Eels players. You mentioned there with, with Stags mm-hmm. and, and um, everything that he'd been doing for Brisbane this year had been quality football. And he he has a bad game, or not? Well, maybe maybe bad is is the wrong word. Yeah, I mean, a game where he hasn't has much impact. Yeah, the ball just didn't come his way. It happens. Yeah, and he got injured. Yeah. And look, I I think any criticism that these are about panic decision making, I, I don't think it's off the mark. I, like I really don't. They, maybe they feel that they haven't panicked with it, but I think as soon as you make these sorts of changes. You're not. Where's the combinations going to come in? This is a shorter turnaround. Now, yeah, they get less time mm. together to prepare for this match than they did Correct. in game one. All of a sudden, they've got a whole lot of new combinations, and let's just say that these these combinations they have to come together pretty quickly in any Origin series, and to change them, I think you have to have good cause to change. And you know, I think you take out a bad kicking game and some not great options out of dummy half the way that the play went in game one. And um, I think if you, maybe if you had Coruscant playing in game one and you had clear with his better, one of his better kicking games rather than what he displayed in that, maybe it's a different result. I don't know. It's, you know, that they were two areas that stood out it, to me. It feels like a move areas. back to like the daily sort of era blues where everything was so reactionary. You have one loss. It's time for wholesale changes. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Not a huge fan. Obviously, 
the couple of Parramatta boys that were very hard done by. And they and the thing is, they did what was asked them by bouncing back against the Roosters with a you know red run over two hundred matter. Like you said, Spiro had a whole stack of offloads as well as a ton of run meters. So like what mm. they did what was asked of them, and it still wasn't enough to the point where even if they outplayed the guy that was picked in front of him in Crichton, they they got, they got hard done by. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out for them. Wholesale changes is it the answer? Maroon's looking very strong, very consistent there. They've had the luxury mm. of picking informed players and not having to worry about uh, changing the the deck chairs. Um, but yeah, that'll play out on Sunday. Um, we'll get we'll get a call from you at the end of your, um, your time here on the show about how that game will play out. But there was yep. plenty of other eels picked in the uh, the slew of representative games we've got this week. It isn't just state v state; it is also country v country uh, for Pacifica Test matches as well as the Lebanon and Malta game. So we've got a bit of a, a rep honor roll for the eels today, mate. I already mentioned Junior Barlow and Quinton Gufferson for the Blues male squad, but for the ladies, Tiana Penatani and Samima Talfa are in the team. Philomena Hanisi mm. is a reserve. Uh, they'll play at GIO Stadium on Friday night. That's going to be an absolute cracker. Uh, for New Zealand, got a couple of debutants for the Eels. Dylan Brown and Murata Niakore finally breaking through for their made in New Zealand caps as Ai Papali'i joins them in the starting team. Murata's been named at centre, so that's going to be a, a very tough New Zealand team. They actually look very good uh, this year. Yeah, I um, I agree. I'll jump in there and give my takes just briefly on those two. Uh, women's Origin, really looking forward to Friday night. Two of our big names, Tiana Penatani, Samima Taufel will be there. No Maddie Studden, which has been a, a little bit of an interesting selection and, and both Hill very Welsh uh, had that ACL injury. So a couple of our other girls missing out and Kennedy Charrington as well coming back from, uh, I believe, a bit of a knee injury. So disappointing that there aren't more para girls in there, but keen to see what uh, Tiana and Samaima serve up on Friday night. It'll be an mm-hmm. absolute belter of a game, and we'll be calling it live on 2GB. Uh, on to the New Zealand v Tonga game. Really, really looking forward to that. Probably highlight of the weekend, apart from Origin. And really nice to see that Murata will be starting in the centres because that's where I think he plays his best football. And that Kiwi side, as you said, it looks probably one of the best sides that they've had in a very, very long time. And there is a lot of talk about Tonga and, and what a great nation they are. And they have a star-studded team as well with Viliami Penasini. Uh, that's his traditional traditional Tongan name mm-hmm. uh, in the squad as well. Yeah, originally but named. Yeah, I think. I was going to say he was originally named as 19th man, but with Talakai being picked to origin, Ami. he uh, got promoted to the starting team today. So he's going to be taking on a trio of his oh, Eagles wow. teammates. Uh, and yeah, for for that uh, those two teams there, I'm just trying to see if Tonga has named their official team here. Um, I, I haven't seen, but but that would be brilliant if because uh, it was it Will was doing the rounds that he, he has. Dylan Brown making his debut. That combo, go on, John. I was gonna say it was yeah, it was doing the rounds yeah. So uh, so I believe he is starting. I think Tony Staggs has gone back to play five eight for Tonga, so he'll be up for a big game too. Right, yeah, so so keen to see what both those teams are capable of on Saturday afternoon. Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes form a really good combo there in the halves. So, yeah, I'm pumped about those games. And, and also the under-19s, just briefly. I know that there aren't, there's only that one uh, Eels player that will be in the men's under-19s, but there's a whole stack in the women's side. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple named on the website here, Patisa Leo, uh, Ruby Jean... Kennard, I didn't actually know she was an Eels NRLW player, but I've just read an article before I jumped on the pod about her and her dad who used to play for the Dragons, uh, Ben Ellis. So uh, 
can't to see what what she's going to uh, be able to do on on uh, Thursday night. You've got Ruben Ch- Ch- uh, Charrington as well. So quite a few in the, the under-19s, which is a, a real testament to the young girls coming through the ranks at Parramatta as well. So, so some exciting matches coming up in the next few days. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic stretch. Uh, the under-19s under ladies game is going to be huge for Parramatta. Uh, obviously, the the return to New Zealand for the Ma Mate, the Mate Ma'a Tonga versus New Zealand game is going to be really the, the other headline act for the entire week alongside State of Origin 2. Keen to see how Dill and Murata and Ice go there and how Will Penasini goes up against them. The other Eels to earn representative honours this week, uh, Makesi Makatol will start for the Cook Islands. Mike Acevo, likewise, starting on the wing for Fiji. And then in the game tonight, uh, we've got Eliel's Gehem and Jabril Kalach uh, turning out for Lebanon. So plenty of Eels uh, getting the call this week, which is fantastic and a good reward for a number of really strong teams and really strong individual performances. Very exciting. I'll be out at Campbelltown on Saturday with the Papua New Guinean radio station FM 100 uh, calling a little bit of football. So looking forward to that on Saturday evening and two really good games. I think uh, looking at Samoa, Cook Island, Samoa by far have the better team on paper and, and should win that game comfortably. But good to see Maka in the side off the bench, which will be, I mean, you'd like to think he'd be uh, up to starting. He's a first grader. There aren't many NRL first graders in that team, but something may be going on there. Now, I did see also for on Fiji uh, for that second game, Papua New Guinea v Fiji, uh, that Wanga Blake apparently has been named in the in the team. Yeah, there it's was really weird. There because, was conflicting, you know, yeah, conflicting mm. news on that. And so, with our official thing, I didn't have him listed, but. It's definitely something to watch because he's been in and out of certain team lists depending on where you read it. So, yeah, it'd be obviously a good inclusion for him. It'll be luck of the draw. We'll rock up on Saturday and will we see Wanga or won't we? Um, but that'll be a good game too. I think, once again, Fiji more dominant in terms of on paper. But Papua New Guinea have Justin Olam and Alex Johnston and Lachlan Lamb. So they've got some good first graders there too. So some really exciting football, guys. I'm really keen yeah, for what's ahead. And, this whole and the week. Lebanon, the Cedars tonight. Um I, I don't know either of the players, Eliel Zakim or Jabriel Kalashi, but it'll be interesting to see what they're all about. I haven't seen them at all. Yeah, well, Eli's, Eli's been a mainstay of our cup team for the last year and a half, and he's a player that's really pushing towards, kind of like following the path that Kyra Wobble has, pushing towards you know higher honours uh, in the coming uh, sort of weeks and months. But uh, he's, he's definitely one to watch. And Jabril, 60s, he's one of our talented young outside backs, uh, capable of playing through from centre to 5'8". And he's been, he spent a fair bit of time in 5'8 in the flag this year before diverting back to centres more recently. But he's uh, he's quite young for the grade, isn't he, in the flag? Uh, yeah, and look, I think, uh, as John just mentioned, and we're going to talk a, a little bit about this in um, in a, a quick preview a little bit later in this pod, but uh, Ellie is someone that we've been watching, as John said, for the last 18 months. He was one of my tips to make an NRL debut this year. Uh, Jabriel, we've got uh, that track. We've basically tracked him since he was playing mats for the club. He's, um, I'm sure that he's, well, he must be around about that that same age as the the Jake and Sean and that because I'm sure he came through in the same team. I think as, he's a year younger. I and, think he's and this, yeah, I, that's what I was going to say, and I, I and I think because he was he stayed in the grade after right. they moved back, that's right, uh, moved on that he was a year younger than them. I I have a preference for him in the centres mm-hmm. 
mm. than five eight. Uh, I think he's as he's matured and he and he's become a bigger frame. I think he does a bit more damage out wider. So uh, be interesting to see how how he performs there. But again, that's one of those um, matches where. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in it because there's some of the uh, there's been a focus on the younger players, I believe, for both sides where possible. So um, yeah, good encounter to to uh, be able to catch. And of course, the midweek footy. Yeah, and, and just is. quickly, just quickly on the Lebanon game, uh, Travis Robinson and his brother Reese Robinson are going to feature there as well. So a couple of former first graders, no current first graders in either team. But yeah, keen to keen to catch that game Reece, tonight. Of course, also been a former eel, so there's a bit of a connection That's there it. too. And 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 something that flies in the face of what I just said about uh, some of the younger players. <laughs> you got you got to have some old, you got to have some <laughs> older heads around too, though. You can't just have all the young guys running around uh, owning the show. You got to have some of the uh, the veterans in the team too. So, mm. but uh, outside of uh, the big week of rep football, mate, is a bit of talk about for the Parramatta Eels when it comes to player retention and recruitment. Obviously, we had the developing story of Nathan Brown. 60 spoke about that in our Instant Reaction podcast, sort of trying to set the record straight there. But also, we had the big retention of Ryan Madison. Finally, that one was put behind us in the best possible way. Four years, $2.6 million was the media uh, uh, final uh, reporting on that, so six twenty-five a season. Uh, good money for a very good player, a guy that's in career best form. And beyond that, we also got another recruit. Uh, the Eels announcing today that Newcastle forward Jeremiah Masia will be joining the team for t- next two seasons. Uh, 23-year-old forward. Uh, Knights fans seem to be a bit annoyed that he's moving on. He had a bad injury against the Roosters earlier in this year that sort of cut down his time in first grade. He broke his arm and dislocated his elbow, I want to say. It was real nasty. But he looks like the sort of prototypical Parramatta forwards prospect that we love to work, a, you know, sort of young 20-year-old forward that hasn't quite realised his potential comes here and maybe can be the next Murata or Zai Papali. For sure, for sure. Very exciting. So uh, on, we'll, we'll save Nathan Brown to last. Ryan Madison, really, really good news. That was uh, especially after that performance on Saturday night where he had those five offloads and looked really electric and elusive. Great news that he's re-signed and we can put all those rumours to bed about him going to the Dolphins. And I think it's important that you're keeping at least a few of your your mainstay forwards. Had Ryan Madison gone, I think it would have maybe disrupted things a little bit too much given Murata and Ice and Raystone and Oregon are all leaving at the end of this year and Reedy as well. So so glad that we re-signed him. Uh, Jira Momosia, haven't seen him play, but from what I've heard, he's a, a young talent and uh, and it's good. I think our approach of going for young blokes like your Jermaine Hopgoods and Jira Momosia may be good strategy is because we're seeing that a lot more these days. Rather than signing older players uh, at the tail end of their career, we're signing young forwards, come to our club, can develop at the club and hopefully be there for the long term and for the future. So really keen to see what Jermaine Hopgood and Jeremiah Messiah bring to our side next year. And on Nathan Brown, just a quick word. I know you guys have, have spoken to the, spoken about this at some length, but just for my takes, I think that um, based on what I know as well, that Nathan Brown's management are happy with how the club have dealt with it. The club are happy with how Nathan Brown's management have dealt with it. It's totally understandable that Brownie wants to have a nice deal to finish his career, a good three-year contract somewhere on good money before he can hang up the boots because he's approaching that 30 years of age mark. So you can understand that he wants to 
to have a, a bit of a you know three year deal, finish it off nicely. And Parramatta unfortunately don't have that as part of their plans, and I respect that and understand that. And the fact that we're willing to let him go, which is rare these days, that we let players go early from their contract, uh, it's it's understandable, and it gives Nathan Brown the best chance to secure what's best for his future. So wish him all the best, and I'm sure we'll see some more good performances from him once he makes his way back into the first grade side before the end of the year. And then if he can secure a deal at another club, he'll be in a a different jersey next year. So I I respect both parties on that, and I think it's probably you know, a a smart move because he, he wants big money as well. And if we can spend the money that we'd spend, say, for example, on a Nathan Brown contract, on a few young guys like your Hopgoods and Mamasias, well, then that's worth it. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy with that decision on the whole. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because there are two parties both acting like adults. Like, it just <laughs> yeah. in, in the NRL, you almost never see it where, you know, someone has a difference of opinion when it comes to the outlook of a player at the club and both parties can say, you know what, we understand that. We're going to, you know, act in our best interest, but at the same time, look like work hard for the club too. So it's really good to see that from both parties. Obviously, Brownie's been a huge part of the uh, recent run of the Parramatta Reels going back to when he sort of came here from South Sydney and, and turned himself around as a player. Um, you know, And obviously, whether it's here or elsewhere, you still wish him the best uh, regardless. Of course. But really, really well dealt by all parties. And to see BA come out and just be upfront and honest was really good. And none of this rubbish of these whispers and denying rumours and stuff mm-hmm. and let this merry-go-round and off-field circus go around. Instead, just put it to bed, be honest and upfront with the fans, with the media, and look, it's now not really in the headlines much anymore because we know what the outcome is and that's it. We move on. Nipped in the bud. So beautiful stuff. Spiro, I think that's pretty much an end to what we're going to talk to you this week about. But before we go, we've got to get your tip uh, for the two State of Origin games and we might as well throw in the Tonga uh, New Zealand game too, the three headline games for the the week. So Origin for the men, Origin for the ladies, and then uh, obviously the uh, inter, or not even, it's not inter-Tasman, it's just the uh, Pacifica test match between New Zealand and Tonga. Okay, let's kick it off with the women on Friday night. I'm going to tip the Blues to win in a tight one. Uh, last year was a very low-scoring 10th to fair. I think it'll be 20 points to 16. Mm-hmm. Blues will get up. And I'm going to say Tiana Penatani for first try scorer. Nice. Uh, one of my favorite NRLW players. So we'll back her in on that one. In terms of the New Zealand Kiwis, Mate Ma Tonga, I'm going to go with my heart, which is Tonga. And I know that there are a few paraboys in the New Zealand side. I'll be happy whoever wins. But I'm going to say Tonga to win. Um, uh, I think it'll be 24 to 20. It'll be a very, very tight game. Sounds High like scoring affair. Yep. And then in the in the men's state of origin, the the showpiece Sunday night, I'm gonna go with the Blues by ten. I think they're gonna win. Let's put it. I'm trying to think of a score. Um, I'm gonna say New South Wales, sixteen points to six. So Blues to win Sunday night. Um, first try scorer. I'm gonna go with. Uh, James Tedesco and first try scorer for the New Zealand v Tonga game. Dylan Brown. Dylan Brown, Dylan I think you'll go over and get one on, on debut for the Kiwis. Beautiful. As always, mate, absolute pleasure. Look forward to catching up for you next week uh, to break down all the representative action as well as uh, maybe cast our eyes forwards to that big game against Rabbitohs. Looking forward to it, guys. Enjoy your rep footy and we'll chat next week. Speak then.
As always, that was a fantastic chat with Spiro going behind the mic and around the NRL in what is a bye week for the uh, free normal senior codes, but a week full of representative action. Usually for those games that are going to be played across this week, we do them all as a preview in the preview podcast coming later this week. But seeing as there is a game tonight and a game tomorrow night, we're going to throw a couple of those previews into this particular podcast right here, right now, 60s. So let's get right into it. We'll go in reverse chronological order and go out to the Thursday game, which is taking place at Leichhardt Oval, 5.45pm kickoff. It's the New South Wales under-19s women's state of origin. And the Parramatta Eels are very well represented in this contest, mate. Got a free team, sorry, free na- free members of the actual run on seventeen, and then also one of the reserves comes from the Eels as well. Just looking at this team at fullback for the Blues, you've got Jada Taylor, and it's Batessa Leo, the first of the Eels representatives. She's on one wing with uh, Casey Toby Hicko on the other. Andy Robinson and Mia Middleton are the centres in the halves. It's Lasana Lutu and Taylor Montgomery in the front row. Mona Lisa Soliola and Parramatta Eels Tasha Gal captain and All Star player Ruby Jean Kennard. And then our new recruit, 60, is going to get our first look at Ruben Cherrington. She's playing dummy half for the Blues after being outstanding, I believe, in the uh, state championships or national championships. She was one of the players of that tournament. In the back row, Leilani Wilson, Chantel Tugaga, and Aisha Duckett. On the bench, Annika Wilson, Tiana Kore, Talisha Maeva, the last of the Eels in the, fir- the top 17 with Jules Kirkpatrick rounding out that 17. Rosemary Beckett, uh, the outstanding Parameters 5'8", or halfback, I think she was in the halfback just most of the season. She is the uh, 18th player, but then it's Chloe Jackson, Alana Dummett, uh, or Dumet, Salma Noir, and Millie Lupo as part of the extended bench. For the Queenslanders, uh, at fullback, it's Shante Kiriaratu, Jataya Fafua, and Helen uh, Utalangi are on the wings. You've got Jasmine Peters and Emanita Paki in the centres. At 5'8", it's Jada Ferguson, halfback Jade uh, Herdingen. Sorry, Jada, I that wrong. In the front row, it's April... Uh, Yugata Tapuna and Fiona Junk with Lily Rose Colk at dummy half. Back row, Atessa Puel, Captain Hannah Larson, lock forward, Georgina Tuitali. Sorry, Georgina. On the bench, uh, Montana Mook, Lavinia Kitai, Valila Kia, Jacinta Carter, extended roster, Ellie Williamson, Sunny Gerard, Talia Marshall, uh, Lillian Yarrow, and Atlanta Peters. I really don't know who would be favoured in this contest, 60s. But looking at that Blues team, I mean, just looking at the param- the presence of the Parramatta players, we know it's got to be high quality. But uh, a couple of those players we saw, obviously we saw elsewhere for the Tasha Gale season. But I am looking forward to this one. I, I believe it should be live-streamed on New South Wales Rugby League TV, I want to say. Um, no, apparently it's going to be on Channel 9. 9K on Fox still have this covered. There you go. Well, that's that's actually quite uh, impressive. I I would imagine is Channel Nine broadcasting it on one of their it must other be one cha- of their, their backup or backup, but like their digital channels, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it well, nine, looking forward to that, mate. Nine it's, now, nine now, I believe. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really, that makes it so much more accessible for people to watch. Uh, interesting selection of Patessa Leo on the wing. Yes. Yeah, um, she's been a centre for us. But I suppose, as you so often see at the representative level, it's not where you play at club level. It's just getting the best players into positions where they can play somewhat similar. And, uh, you know, we've seen the Blues and the Maroons at the uh, senior men's level do this a lot of the time with fullbacks. And uh, even, you know, we've just got a 5'8 playing centre now in uh, Burton. So there's uh, plenty of that going on in other grades. And not surprised to see it here, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she handles it because we do know that wing can be a demanding position defensively in terms of your decision-making in the split second 
uh, sort of opportunities that come your way. Yeah, and also she was uh, very good during the season uh, running off the, the ball that was provided for her just on the edge. Yes. was was uh, very, very effective power running. Fearless, yeah. She sort of ran into the teeth of the defence with no issues on those courage lines, and that's why she was so devastating. Big work rate, high impact. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how she goes on the wing. Uh, I suppose you talk about combinations, so Charrington and, and Kennard in that middle rotation there, see if they can strike up something of a combination in their first hit out together. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we've just been talking about the the number of eels in this lineup, and it's so it's three current and one future eel that's in the uh, in the seventeen, and then one in the extended reserve. So that's quite good representation from a Parramatta perspective. You mentioned Ruby Jean, of course, uh, and and future combinations um, with Ruben Cherrington and. There, of course, the the famous, uh, famously, um, Ruby Jean is the first pathways player coming completely through the pathways into the NRLW for Parramatta. It's so, heck, heck of uh, an achievement, isn't it? You know, it's something to uh, put up on the mantelpiece for sure. And she's she is a player that really led the way for the Eels, and I look forward to seeing her making a step up and representative for football now. Yeah, yeah, and. And look, I'm I'm glad that uh, Talisha Maver also got that recognition because she was an absolute powerhouse with her carries through the um, through the competition this year in in the Tasha Gale. Um, quick question for you, mate. I, I, this is a, a question without any sort of notice. The um, the age state teams. I have it in my head that in the past it was under 18s and under 20s. That is a good question. Did they, because obviously we saw the junior representatives shift to the odd age brackets due to that COVID uh, loss of play. Did they finally catch up to that then? Let me have a quick gander to last year and see what we had. Um, I don't think there was anything last year because of COVID. True. So I, think if, if, I think you'd probably have to go back to 2019 to see the age teams there. So it was meant to be 19s last year. Yeah, uh, but like you said, it was washed out. So it looks like twenty twenty would have been the final year of even based age group representative football. There we go. It was at least, yeah. at least on the on the website. That's the, as far as their records go back because they've uh, frozen out the um, older older junior stuff now. It's uh, all just the nineteens available for selection, and that only goes back to twenty twenty one. It's it's difficult to get a handle on how we can go with any sort of prediction with this uh, as you said we we saw a, a, the increasingly high standard in the Tasha Gale Cup football this year uh, I suppose testimony to that is that the the Eels played well uh, from round one all the way through to the grand final qualifier didn't end up in the grand final and you, you, there was still an outstanding final between the Roosters and the Knights uh, very good football, in fact, all, all through the season. Uh, Parramatta obviously outstanding in what they were able to achieve. There was probably in the matches that we saw maybe only one or two, two at the most teams that I thought weren't very competitive. I think it's fair to say that the, the Raiders, they certainly struggled on the, the match that we saw uh, the Eels put the 50 
odd points on them in the uh I think that was from memory the last round of the of the regular season but the standard of football that we got to see this year was uh, brilliant it, it was just fantastic so yep. I'm looking forward to seeing what how that translates as an elite representative game at the under-19s level. I, I couldn't possibly make a prediction because I don't think we know enough about the Queensland players to be able to make any that, sort of prediction. That's going to be part of the most fascinating thing is seeing the strength of the Tasha Gale competition, how does the Queensland Rugby League infrastructure stack up against it? So, yes. You know, it, and it's going to be important for the game that the Queensland pathways are as or just about as strong as the New South Wales pathways if they're going to be continually cultivating talent in order to meet the demands of rapid expansion coming in the NRLW? Well, you've already got the two teams from Queensland, which will be three teams, won't it, with the um, uh, the inclusion of the Cowboys? They are. The Cowboys, are. yeah, are coming yeah. in, I believe. And yeah. I think after that, for 2023, there's a whole array of teams that have put their hands up and I think the NRL's flagged uh, wholesale expansion. So this is an important game. Uh, sort of as a, a forerunner to all that expansion, seeing uh, who is there ready to make that step up to professional football at a senior level. Yeah, absolutely. And then... It takes uh, us got... to 7.45pm at Leichhardt yes. as well, where the uh, young men will follow out after the women's under-19 state of origin. Same grade in terms of age group. Eels got just the one representative here. Um, they, they could have had an, a Queensland representative, but it looks like Arthur Miller Stephen has being pulled out of the team because he was named in the squad earlier this year. But for the Eels, it is uh, big Larry Margatutia. He'll be on the interchange. Uh, one of the consistent presences for the Jersey flag, uh, young Larry is a very good young prop prospect. But looking at the New South Wales team, 60 starting at fullback, it's Terrell Kalo Kalo. Then you've got Utola Asamua and Jack Bostick on the wings. Uh, Paul Alamotti, who fans might be familiar with from the uh, Bulldogs pathways, he uh, took part in that big win they had against us in the New South Wales Cup recently. Brad Morkos is the other centre. In the halves, it's Thomas Weaver and Jonah Pezzett. Front row pairing of Max Bradbury and Justin Matamua. Tyler Moriarty. Uh, where's uh, Sherlock Holmes? You need him. Is the dummy half. Then you've got Oren Keeley, Brandon Tumuth on the edges. Trey Mooney, former Parramatta's prospect. He's the lock forward. On the bench, Jack Cole, Toby Couchman, uh, aforementioned Big Larry, and then Jacob Webster, extended roster, Charlie Thompson, Oscar Bryant, Samuel Afainu, the younger brother of uh, Manesi. you got Jalen DeGroot, no 22 for the Blues at this point. For the Maroons, you got Isaiah Longy at fullback. Then you've got Jacob Mene and Xavier Shatfield-Muka on the wings. Sosefa Fafida and Robert Toller. Uh, no, that's an I, Toya. Sorry, Robert, uh, in the centres. you got... Harrodin Wilson and Thomas Duffy in the halves. Captain the team, and there is no named captain for the Blues, curiously, but captain the team from prop is Xavier Vaa. He's going to be partnering Paul Bryan as the two bookends. Blake Moser is the dummy half. Edwin Hampson and Jack Howarth, who was the Melbourne Storm prospect that signed a deal to the end of 2027-60s, uh, worth a fair bit of money as well. So they obviously rate him very highly. He's the other edge parallel there. Uh, Luke Jack is the lock forward. Jai Gray, Benjamin Takura, Josiah Paholu, and uh, Kulekafu uh, Finia Fiuaki uh, is the final player on the bench. I'm sorry about that one. Uh, Excited roster, uh, Ragarive Wavik, Tane Kiriona, Caleb uh, Manu, Sean Packer, and Angus Hinchy. And like I said, this one kicking off at 7.45pm 
And this is another game where it's hard to get a read on the two teams because because things have been so isolated between the New South Wales pathways and the Queensland pathways. Uh, I really don't have a bead on what that Queensland team is like. I recognise some of the names in that New South Wales team. Jonah Pezzett was very good against the Eels when uh, the Thunderbolts played us recently. Uh, but, yeah, this is going to be another sort of almost lucky dip game for me. I'm a bit confused about Trey Mooney's inclusion, mate, because I'm sure he's 20 years old. That is a good question. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe there was some talk on NRL.com that there would be allowances for the under-19s game to include some marquee under-21s or under-20s. Okay, well, he's... I just had a look. He's definitely 20 years of age. He turned 20 yeah, in May. turned 20 in May, so... Yeah, and the, and the reason that I thought that at first was that he came through in the same Eels representative team as as um, uh, Samuel Luizio, mm-hmm. uh, Jake Arthur, Will Penasini, yeah. Sean Russell. All, he was in all going the team. They, all turned, they yeah. all turned 20 this year. Yep. That's good memory there. Yeah, I, I, I saw his name and it sort of took out. I was like, yeah, does, yeah, there you go. So unless they've just got it wrong. No, they couldn't have got it wrong because he's, as I said, when, he, when he, is, they, he is 20. What about so it must be an allowance that you spoke about. Yeah, um, when, they, when they originally mentioned it, they were talking about far more, I mean, no knock on Trey Mooney, who I think is an outstanding prospect and is going to be a good first grader moving forwards. But when they originally mentioned it, they were talking about some high-profile like under twenty ish players, like they're talking about Sam Walker and those sort of caliber players and whatnot. So obviously that's either been uh, put on the back burner or, or dialed back significantly. But yeah, so there's Trey Mooney. Um, I think at looking at the team and and just from a um, an Eels perspective, obviously it's good to see uh, Larry in there. He's been elevated to the the flag, so he's playing at under twenty one level. At the moment, the other player that I, I wanted to mention that I thought was a, a bit unlucky was the Colonel Ethan Sanders. Yeah, Ethan, who similarly you know was SG but first year SG ball eligible this year, played uh, minuscule minutes when it came to the SG ball, and has essentially spent the entire season in the flag and hasn't looked out of touch at all. Um, he easily could have been here too. You know, maybe they because he was so young they deferred to another player on seniority to give them. You know the the rub. You know what I mean. The way. Yeah. Well, it's look. It's it's disappointing because see the the way that I view it is, I don't think you can have a look at the players and go, well, this this player is only eighteen, this person's nineteen. Uh, toss of the coin. We'll go with the older player in this because you don't know what twelve months has in store no. for another player. Exactly. Maybe this is their opportunity and to this, play at this level. This is off the back of him also dominating for City in the City vs. Country under-19s too. So it wasn't like he was struggling at the representative level. He had an excellent game for the actual, what, what, what would you call it, like the possibles, probables, or, or sort of selection play in for the Blues. So, yeah, yeah really, I, I very think unlucky. He, I think he's he's maybe, uh, maybe perhaps missed out as well because of the inconsistent form of the Eels flag team. However... It's really been a rotate, uh, revolving door of five eight partners that he's had in the flag team this year. So, uh, I, yeah, I think he's very unlucky to miss out. Um, but looking at that, they've got uh, Jonah Pezzett there at halfback. We saw him 
play for the Victorian Thunderbolts mm -hmm. in their win over the Eels. Maybe that's got him across the line. Uh, solid, Certainly a solid player was um, one of the Thunderbolts' best on that day. So absolutely no knock on him whatsoever there. Um, again, it's a case of how do they match up against their Queensland counterparts? This is... This is where it's always interesting because you start to get that gauge for how strong the Queensland competition is via these representative games. Uh, there's been times where uh, Queensland has been absolutely outstanding in this age group and you think to yourself, well, you know, they've, they've got some talent coming through that you weren't aware of as a, as a layman follower of, of uh, that level of football because the, the fact is we just don't see their their competitions like we get to see the um the mats and the sg ball and the flag so um yeah uh I, I don't know if you've got any insights into this match mate or the or the opposition but usually usually for the queenslanders there's one or two names that i've sort of got a beat on because you've you've heard the hype along you know so the, the not the grapevine but just you know the discussion around juniors we've had our uh, brandon piacura recently obviously xavier coates uh, Selwyn Cobbo, those sort of players were guys that really jumped off the selection list because you'd heard about the legend that they had, you know, in, in junior football. Uh, the only one, like I said, when I mentioned before in the back row, Jack Howarth is a player with the Melbourne Storm rate incredibly highly because they've signed him up to the end of 2027 as a young lad. Um, so that's probably the name to watch for that team. But yeah, uh, looking at this Blues team, there's a few players here and there that I recognise. Um, I'll tell you what I'm surprised at, mate. Yeah, is as I'm running through the team, and again, this is just from this year. I expected there to be maybe a couple more West Tigers players, and certainly some Sharks players there. I mean, they were they were the two teams that played out the grand final in the SG Ball. Yeah, and true. if when you have a look at it, you've got two West Tigers players, and and no Sharks. Now it might be a matter of eligibility for. Other teams, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know enough about the the background of those players. It's I just find it interesting that um, you you're looking at no Sharks players in that lineup, and only two West West Tigers players in it. So, yeah, just an interesting observation without knowing the ins and outs. But of yeah, it. Like, so, likewise for the Blues, you talk about the, the guys that you hear about and should be keeping an eye on from other teams and. I mean, Paul Alamotti from the Bulldogs, I mentioned, he's a player that's had a bit of hype on him for a couple of years now. But uh, I look at this team and there's not a whole ton of players that jump out to me as guys that have been circled as, you know, f almost foolproof NRL prospects. So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up on Thursday. Hopefully Larry has a good game off the bench. Um, but, you know, obviously the big thing for all these players is we get through unscathed and get back to the club land to tear into the Jersey fleet for the back half of the season. Yeah, yeah. And we've got um, now tonight's match. So we're off to Belmore Sports Ground where the Lebanon Cedars are taking on the Malton Knights. Uh, this one, of all the games this week, is probably the, the lowest profile in terms of representative players being uh, on the field, 60s, but it doesn't mean that there isn't merit to the game. For the Eels, they've got a couple of young reps in the Lebanon squad, uh, Eli Elsgahem and Jabril Kalache, or Jabril Kalach. They're turning out for the Cedars. Uh, Spiro already mentioned it, but the Robinson brothers add a little bit, I wouldn't say star power, but experience and staying power to the team, Travis and Reese. Looking at that Malta squad, probably the most recognisable name is probably Jared Samet, 
uh, former Penrith Panther, played spent a bit of time in the ESL as well. Uh, this one will be taking place at 7.30pm out at Belmore Sports Ground. And I believe this one is uh, on KO, all the online platforms if you want to watch this one. So you can tap into that midweek rugby league itch, which you don't always get the scratch. Um, you got any comments on this one, Sixties, before we wrap up the podcast? Well, we had a bit of a chat about this in our um, conversations with Spiro. Just, I think it's always interesting when you've got these matches that um, allow player a mix of players that might normally get this rep- sort of representative experience. So, uh, with a number of the NRL players that aren't selected in this, or current NRL players selected in this particular uh, international match, it allows. Uh, that mix of younger players and uh, the odd veteran player and lower profile players to get a run representing their nation. Uh, it's it's a bit of a great. I know I'm I'd be expecting I'm expecting Lebanon to win this, but um, yeah, it's hard it's hard to tell without there being any sort of I suppose form line through current players mm-hmm. that uh, are out there. Good to see a couple of our Eels boys getting a run in uh, Eliel Zakim and uh, Jabriel Kalash. Um, maybe not as familiar to Eels supporters. Uh, hopefully Ellie is, as he is running around for the New South Wales Cup team, and I'd like to think that he's a chance of maybe getting a, a run in the NRL team uh, later in the year if the circumstances allow it. Um, and Jabriel, we've got... Uh, a lot of experience watching him coming through in the junior reps, the pathways, and he's now playing some flag football. So, um, yeah, good luck to our two fellas there. Yes, sir. And like we said earlier in the podcast, mate, we'll be back uh, on Friday, I believe it will be, for the uh, normal preview podcast where we'll talk uh, State of Origin. We'll talk all the Pacifica Test matches on Saturday as well as the Lady State and, of Origin. And just before we do, just before we do, mate, I have a word of advice that's just come through from Warren Smith for all the Eels players participating in this weekend's rep round. Just remember, you are not to celebrate. (laughs) All the fellas around you might be, if there is a win, you are not allowed to celebrate. You have to beat three top eight teams in a row. This is the Warren Smith edict, three top eight teams in a row before you can enjoy a win. The international matches and the representative matches do not count as a top eight teams. So you, you're going to have to hold on to all your celebrations as well. Warren, so, obviously one of the, the better voices behind the mic when it comes to NRL commentary, just had a, I don't know why he choose, chose to die on that hill when it came to social media, but obviously he got piled on as a result oh, of that and, you know, invited some very robust discussion. But uh, How can you not, How can like in all seriousness, how can you not pile on that? How it, can you not it, pile It is on certainly that? a take. The, that you cannot celebrate the game a win until you've beaten three top eight teams, uh, it is certainly a take. I'll leave it at that. And for a, for a bloke that for a bloke that's had a lot of just common sense rugby, like you know, when you talk about his commentary, has been really common sense and quality for the the vast, if not the entirety of his uh, body of work. That one was really out there. So yeah, well, hopefully uh, we don't hear about kind of take again. But yeah, if you are part of those winning teams this week, make sure to celebrate those wins. Uh, international football, representative football, it is a fantastic thing for Rugby League and it's going to be a really fun week for players and fans, uh, about, uh, both alike, sorry. 
Uh, I think we're just about done, mate. Uh, as always, before we sign off, I'd like to thank you guys for stopping by and giving us a listen. It does mean a lot to myself and Sixties to have all you people listen to a couple of blokes ramble on for an hour or so. Uh, we hope you stay safe. We'll catch you in the preview podcast. Make sure to join the conversation on TCT for all the representative football because there are plenty of eels to catch this week. And uh, hopefully they all do well. Cheers, everyone.